So one thing we do know, this is empirical data. People aren't getting married anymore. Not like they used to be. Here's something from The Hill. Throughout the 20th century, the annual U.S. marriage rate was generally no less than eight marriages per 1,000 people. It goes on to say, since the start of the 21st century, the U.S. marriage rate has declined from more than eight marriages per 1,000 down to six per 1,000 in 2019. That is like, that's a quarter of the marriages gone, just poof. And it's not like the population went down, just the number of people that are getting married. (laughs) Okay, why do you think people are not getting married? Hi, welcome to Wild and Beautiful. We're Joanna Hyatt and Lauren Enriquez, your co-hosts who every week are helping you live out your faith in a way that's biblically rooted, but culturally relevant. So what do we need to not talk about in this episode? How we could have married other people and it wouldn't have made a difference. Are we a little cynical with our Myers-Briggs? I mean, I think that's what we've come we're to realize. INTJ, ENTJ. You and I married romantics, yeah. and we're very practical. We're like, yeah, it could have been anybody. Mm-hmm. It would have been fine. And that doesn't go well on the home front. Let me just tell you, friends, we are redoing this episode because we did it <laughs> once. And we thought we did we great. We did awesome, actually. I told my husband, I was like, <laughs> this is what we talked about. He and I may have been disagreeing for like 36 hours after that. It's like, what? Our marriage is on the rocks. No, it's not. We're fine. But I also could have married anybody. That didn't go well. Did not go well. That didn't go well. Hey, but hey, maybe this podcast is doing something for our marriages and hopefully people that are listening to it. What I learned is I did not articulate it well, which I know is hard hard to grasp that I, who speak so many words, might sometimes speak ones that don't make sense or are like a battering ram in the door. It's a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> so so we're redoing this one, not because we are changing our position, but because we are saving our marriages. Just kidding. Uh, we're redoing <laughs> this one to ensure that we articulate better the heart behind what we were trying to say. And so today we're diving into relationships. We're diving into love, a little bit of soulmates. Oh, yeah. yeah, all the things that everybody's always interested in in talking about. And so, Enriquez, how do we want to back into this thing so that we don't just back into it with a Break shovel and fall into heart. a hole? Because we're not here to be cynical, folks. We love love. That sounds like the yes. lame. That sounds like a Hallmark card. Uh, we love is love is love. We are just very just brutally practical people, I think. Yeah. Yes. You and I are like, yeah, I mean, but that's like not logical. So it's a thing. Like, I think arranged marriages can, could be a great idea depending on the context. But I know there's a lot of romantics who would be like, that is a hill they would die on that you do not enter into an arranged marriage. So one thing we do know, this is empirical data. People aren't getting married anymore. Not like they used to be. Here's something from The Hill. Throughout the 20th century, the annual U.S. marriage rate was generally no less than eight marriages per 1,000 people. It goes on to say, since the start of the 21st century, the U.S. marriage rate has declined from more than eight marriages per 1,000 down to six per 1,000 in 2019. That is like a quarter. That's a quarter of the marriages gone. Just 
poof. And it's not like the population went down. Just the number of people that are getting married. (laughs) Okay. Why do you think people are not getting married? I think they're jaded. I think, you know, we live in a culture of no-fault divorce, for Mm -hmm. example. So many people, myself included, are children of divorce. And we look at marriage and we say, you know, you have that falling in love period. At I went through a very cynical cynical period early (laughs) in my dating years after I determined that I wasn't supposed to be a nun. Are we all... Do we all just go through this period of falling in love as some kind of like giant trick that God plays on us to get us to get married? Because I hadn't necessarily seen a lot of happy, holy marriages. And what I didn't know at the time, and what we're going to talk about more later, is that happy and holy marriages are a product of self-gift. They're not a product of what you get out of the marriage. But I did eventually realize, thanks to the incredible amount of love that was shown to me by the person I ended up marrying, that it's <laughs> it's not a trick. God isn't a God who plays tricks on his people. But I had to work through that period of feeling cynical. And I feel like that's where a lot of people who are considering, what am I going to do with my life? Maybe that's how they're feeling too, that no-fault divorce has made us think that marriage is not as permanent as it used to be. We are a lot more self-centered probably now than in eras past. And so we think, well, I have the option between pursuing a career and comfort and success or, in a sense, laying down my life for another person and a family. And if you haven't seen that modeled in a way that's really appealing and inspirational, it's not necessarily something you're going to go for. What do you think, Joe? Some good thoughts in there. Yeah. You know, marriage is, I think, lost its significance too. So often people see it now as, oh, well, it's just, it's a legal contract. It's a way to not pay as much on your taxes or maybe you pay more uh why why do we need to get married because we as as our society has moved away from god away from scripture we have moved away from an understanding of the purpose of marriage and it has come to look very contractual. So unless the person I'm marrying can bring 50% to the table as much as I'm bringing to the table, then it's probably not worth it. Or you see increasing numbers of people moving in together, but not getting married because they think, oh, well, this is kind of like being married. And when I talk to uh, teens and young adults about marriage, I talk about how you cannot actually practice permanent So marriage is meant to be a permanent covenant, not contract where you keep up your end, I keep up mine. It's a covenant and you can't practice forever. You either do it or you don't. And so the problem with moving in that we see in lots of people in our generation right now, and this goes for both people who profess to be followers of Christ and people who are not, when they move in together, they're trying to practice permanent, but there is a mentality of I'm one foot in And I'm one foot out. Like, if I don't like what's going on, I can still leave. And so we know that we kind of have this backdoor exit. But also, you don't ever address stuff. 
uh, that really bugs you because you think, well, I'm not going to be here for the next 60 years. If I don't like it, I'm going to leave. And I can tell you when you decide that you're going to be married for the next 60 years, you will talk about the dishes and you will talk about the laundry and you will talk about all the little things that normally probably just get brushed under the rug because why would you bring it up? It's not that big a deal until suddenly you go, <laughs> I'm going to be looking at those socks for the rest of my life. We're talking about it. We are talking about it, right? And so unfortunately, we have a culture that thinks, oh, we can practice or we can play at marriage and it's not going to matter if we do it or don't legally, but it's so much more than that. So much more than that. And when we're thinking that we need to practice or test drive the other Mm -hmm. person, like they're Mm -hmm. a car or an object that we need to try out to make sure we're not going to return them later. We are going into the relationship with the premise that the most important thing here is that I get what I'm looking for. That premise is doomed to failure in marriage because marriage is not set up for you to get something out of it. It is set up by the mercy and love of God as an opportunity for you to find yourself. The glory of God is man fully alive. You become fully alive in giving yourself to somebody else. But we've lost that premise in the way that our modern culture looks at marriage. We look at it, like you said, so often as economically beneficial. There's tax advantages to being married It's easier to raise children when there's two parents in the household. We have someone there so that we're not alone. We're not feeling lonely, but we have missed the most important premise. And I don't even think, I don't even think so many of us ever become aware of this in order to pass it on to our children and make it normal in our culture that marriage isn't fundamentally about what you get out of it. And that is is the point. That's the beauty of it because that's where happiness lies. It's just so paradoxical. And you really need that the, you really need the example of Christ and his church for that to even make sense. But so many of us don't have that either. So it makes me sad, honestly, to look at culture and say, marriage is offering this beautiful thing to you, but we're, we're too blind to even see it. What's like sex. The world's definition of sex is very one note. It's very flat. It's very one-dimensional. It's just physical. And the same with the world's definition of marriage. It's about as long as I'm happy, as long as I'm growing, right? If it it can be for you or not for you, but there's no real advantage. Mm -hmm. But what God offers us in marriage, as we see in scripture, is so much more robust, so much more multifaceted and about the flourishing of the two individuals that are coming together to form one life and also the children that will come from that. And I always think it's so interesting how what God prescribes in scripture, you see that play out in society. So marriage is one of the best ways for women to advance in society. It's it's one of the best and health. It is the healthiest uh, environment for children to grow up to be trained up. Yeah. It, it is the best for uh, the community for getting people out of poverty and and keeping you know crime rates down and and. Uh, delinquency and all of these things, because God knew that when he set up this unit and blessed it, that it would actually bless the people in it and the people around it. And so 
when we as society have diminished the value of marriage, and you see this in the way that the laws are, are being passed, in the way that marriage is being watered down, you know, if marriage no longer matters uh, between one man and one woman, it's now any gender, well, then it's just a matter of time before it's any number of people. We're already seeing that not only is it any gender, but you can change your gender in that marriage, in that relationship, and it's only a matter of time before that becomes about any age. We've, 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 I think, touched on this before, or we will in the coming weeks as we keep talking about sex. But, but pedophilia is becoming now just called, uh, what is it, minor person attraction? Mm-hmm. In, a, in an attempt to de- minor, attractive minor attractive person. In an attempt to diminish mm-hmm. what is happening. And so yes. as we have moved away from protecting and lifting up marriage as the uh, gold standard of relationship and really as a society orienting everything we do towards fostering that and facilitating mm-hmm. that and encouraging that, you see so many things falling out from that, right? You, you see anxiety, you see depression, you see single uh, parent homes on the rise, poverty on the rise, dependence on the government on the rise. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason. What God sets forward is not about rules. It's mm-hmm. about it's about actually giving us freedom when we walk in what He has prescribed. I one hundred percent agree. I'm so and glad we have. <laughs> I love I love when love and freedom are in the same paragraph because I'm like, yes, John Paul II would be cheering you on, Joe. I think JP too and I would get along. We'll get. I do too. Oh, you would. You know, we have this great invitation where we're we're kind of bemoaning or acknowledging maybe the state of marriage and sex in our culture. We're in a bad place, guys. Mm -hmm. We're in a bad place. But silver lining here, we have this opportunity as married people or people who are discerning marriage, people who aspire to a Christian marriage. We have this incredible opportunity because, yes, sex has gone to hell in a handbasket in our culture. But in living out a Christian marriage, if we understand what a Christian marriage is, we have the opportunity to model how God loves us, how Christ loves his church, and how we as human persons are called to love each other. And that example, even beyond anything, any words that we say to people or ways that we evangelize to them, the example of a holy marriage, I believe, can transform our culture And so love your spouse, give yourself to your spouse, practice the self-gift that marriage calls us to, and let God use that to change the world around us. When you were talking about some of the crazy things that are going on, Joe, I was looking up this quote from, you'll never guess who, John Paul II, John Paul the Great. It says, man must reconcile himself to his natural greatness. He must not forget that he is a person. Mm. Only the chaste man and the chaste woman are capable of true love. How true is that? Only the chaste man and the chaste woman are capable of true love. For chastity frees their association, including their marital intercourse, from that tendency to use a person. We're talking about test driving people, treating them like objects. This bleeds over not only in in our sexual relationships, but it bleeds over into how we treat children and and preborn children and 
so many other areas of modern life. But true love, he says, is a love in which sexual values are subordinated to the value of the person. And so again, in this, in this invitation that we have to live out our marriages, whether we're married now or we're pursuing that, and that's our vocation, that's our calling from God, we can help people understand their own value and their own dignity by modeling the gift of ourselves to our spouse and to our family and modeling how to receive that love from another person. I just think that is such a great beautiful sign of hope mm-hmm. for the culture that we're living in today. And so applicable to those of you listening who are not married, uh, whether you are going to get married or you're single and you don't know if, if that's in your future, what a way to be a witness and to be pretty revolutionary where you practice chastity, which again, that's a word that makes Protestants be like, oh my gosh, that's Catholic. Hey, <laughs> it's just not having sex. Okay. And <laughs> not having sex outside of outside of marriage. marriage, but not just not having sex outside of marriage. It's approaching your sexuality, not as something for you, but again, something to offer to the Lord. And when we t- make it about, Lord, what can I give to you versus what can I take from other people? It's transformative in a culture that has become very much about how much can I get? How satisfied can I make myself? I mean, you see this in marriages. And part of what sparked this whole conversation is we were going to talk about soulmates because we see in culture this idea that, well, this person's holding me back. I'm no longer happy. They must not be my soulmate. Because marriage has shifted and sexuality and sex has shifted to what is it doing for me versus how am I offering this to the Lord? And then what would he have me do with it in in a way that is really a response to the love of Christ for us and the, the way he poured himself out for us on the cross that we live out, whether in marriage, whether we are parents, whether we are single uh, in any season of life. How we express that might be different, but if that is our heart orientation and motivation it will rock this world because they're not used to that. Mm-hmm. It's so contrary to how we are being raised to live. Just if you live in the world. Yes. It'll be this wild and beautiful. Name. It'll be wild. Oh, beautiful. Joe, it's like there should be a it. show. There should be a Just kidding. So good. <laughs> you just never run out of ways to tie that in. Okay. Carry on. You have something real deep to say. And I just. No, it. Well, John Paul II had something else deep to say. I had this great experience in college taking Theology of the Body, a whole class on it, which is, if you're not aware, it is a series of talks that John Paul II gave when he was alive, I think in the 70s. And then I took this class from Dr. Michael Waldstein, who is an Austrian uh, expert in theology of the body and a theologian. He actually translated one of the versions of theology of the body, but he made us all memorize this part of John Paul II's writings. I never succeeded in memorizing it for some reason, but thankfully he never called on me to recite this passage like he did everyone else in the class. I think he could see in my face that it just was not a thing that was going to happen. So anyway, I'm going to read this to you. So beautiful. Gaudium et spes, which means joy and hope. 24.3. Indeed, the Lord Jesus, when he prayed to the Father that all may be one as we are one, opened up vistas closed to human reason, for he implied a certain likeness between the union of the divine persons and the unity of God's sons in truth and charity. Here's the, the great part. This likeness reveals that man, who is the only creature on earth, earth which God willed for itself, cannot fully find himself 
except through a sincere gift of himself. This is, in my opinion, the purpose of marriage. And the beautiful thing is that so many of us, I would say maybe the majority of people on earth are called to marriage. This is kind of the default state of life for most people. We will have this opportunity to find ourselves in our gift of self to another, just right there baked into marriage, which so many of us will engage in in our lifetime. We were talking about soulmates, Joe, and how there's kind of this debate over whether God picked out this one person from you for all eternity or whether you kind of just fished one of the fish out of the sea and married that one. I think it's kind of a combination of both like God. And maybe this is a whole debate that the Calvinists would have a different view on because I know, and I respect that. I know that we have different views of God's will. But in my view, I think God respects who we choose and also did pick that person out for us from all eternity because he knew who we were going to choose. It's kind of a both and. And it's beautiful in that sense. I think there is such a thing as soulmates. And God knew exactly what you needed in order to... I knew this Puerto Rican lady who married an Irish man, and she used to call him her express train to heaven. <laughs> she would she would everything he does annoys me, and I love him so much. And I just know he's my express train to heaven. And I think that sometimes because you and I both married people that are totally different from us in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I married a South American, romantic, like touchy-feely, very talkative person, which is not how I am. And a lot of the time, those qualities annoy me, but they also grow me because I realize here are these vistas of vistas that are not explored in my personality that I get to enter into with you now. And I invite him to a lot of periods of, shall we say, quiet reflection <laughs> by being on the other side of the house, hiding in a room, reading a book by myself. So we grow each other. We do. We grow we each do. other. And Yes. I think the, the first time we filmed this, the reason I got in trouble is I was very sort of like, it doesn't matter. I could have made a different decision, studied abroad, married somebody in another country. It'd be fine. And upon further reflection and conversation, input, lots of conversation, I realized actually I don't, that's not consistent with even how I operate. Like I was that kid. Don't y'all laugh at me because I grew up in the purity culture who made a point to pray for my future spouse and to write letters to my future spouse. I was just like, and funny enough, at one point when I was dating my now husband, I was like, I'm dating this guy and I don't think he's right for me. And I'm so sorry. So he got to read that letter. <laughs> <laughs> You're not it, but also you are. And, and so there was a bit of that mm -hmm. idea. And in some ways it, I think it helps us when we think like there's just one person. So I'm just going to not be looking at everyone but also that can be really debilitating. I got to find the one person and I'm on this hunt and being able to say, you know, God is sovereign and God guides us. But as you said, he also works through, I would say even sometimes our very selfish choices, right? Like I like this person. Yeah. I feel really attracted to them. Uh, we have a great time together. I think God is in this. And, you know, you look back and you think, oh, how many of those decisions did I justify versus really were God? But he works through that. And I could not yeah. envision being married to another person now. In case you haven't figured out, I'm a lot. I am a lot, people. And I have a husband who's like, no, you're not. 
you're great. What else do you want? You know, how can I encourage you? What else do you want to do? How can I uh, affirm you? And you don't find that in a lot of men. Uh, for personality. He's kind of the reason we started this podcast, I would say. He is. He has championed this. First, he didn't understand podcasts. Now he's totally on board. He's championed this. And and he has been one who has, uh, you know, I've always thought I'm allowed to be all the woman that God made me to be because I have a husband who is being all the man that God made him to be. Ooh, put that on a bumper sticker. But shorter because I don't do short with words. So... (laughs) I'll condense it for Please you. Please do. Thank you. And so and good. so you can rest in that because I will tell you, uh, you know, as a Protestant married to a Catholic, we have had seasons in our marriage. And I'm like, what have we done? Maybe this was really impossible. <laughs> and yet I can also see the through line of these 11 years of like, oh, no, but God is so in this. And he was so merciful and generous to give us one another, to champion, to challenge, to push all the things. And so if you are married and you know, you're going to have that season at some point. Somebody's listening. They're like three weeks into their marriage. Like, it's never going to be like this. There's going to come a time. I'm just prepping you. There's going to come a time. You'll be like, hmm, this is not going how I envisioned. And yet you can rest in the sovereignty of God, that he is working through your marriage to draw both of you to Christ and, and use each other to refine. I'm a better woman and a better version of Joanna Hyatt uh, because I am married to Andrew. And then also because of Mm -hmm. my children. And sure, would I be maybe a different version with a different person? But I like the version God has chosen to make me because of my husband. And I would not have the children I have. I would not have had the life I have. And so I'm grateful that God is sovereign and yet also gives us Mm -hmm. choices and lets us decide. Yeah. You know, we we see all these chick flicks and these Disney princess movies that give the message to girls and i'm not knocking all the chick flicks and disney princess movies i don't i don't have a strong opinion on that maybe you do but i will say one of the messages that i think it sends is that whether you are in the correct relationship it can be determined by how you're emotionally responding to that relationship Mm. so this relationship is giving me all the fuzzy, warm feelings that I expected out of true love. Or this relationship started out really beautiful, but it has gone into a valley, and this is where I walk away. That's the message that a lot of the pop culture around marriage gives us. And yet, something that I think Christians can lean on is this promise that when we enter into a marriage— and we ask God to enter into that marriage. A Catholic would call this a sacramental marriage where we go to a church and we say vows in front of witnesses and we enter into a sacrament with one another at the altar. God is going to give us the graces that we need to walk through whatever is going to come our way, no matter what that may be. And when you're at the altar at the age of 20 or 30 or whatever age it is when you get married, you have no idea what's coming your way. None of us can predict the future. And this is the thing that I think where the secular culture loses marriage. It's that they think that marriage, that you can predict the future when you go into marriage, that if you find the one, the soulmate, these valleys are somehow not going to happen to you. But that's not the nature of life. It's not the nature of marriage or life in general. What we do know is that we have a God who blessed marriage, who gave us marriage as a gift, as a sacrament, as a way to go through life in a way that grows us and procreates. It grows our 
culture. Quite literally, it grows the population when we have children with this person. And we can lean on him for all the graces that we're going to need to get through those hard times. Then when we go through those peaks where everything is beautiful and the warm fuzzies are there, we can say thank you. Thank you, Lord. This is beautiful. You gave us this person to have these moments of joy with. Then when we're going through those valleys and everything doesn't feel joyful, we can still thank him and know that he is blessing that union regardless of how we emotionally feel. Yes. And I, w- I want to make a note, you know, some people listening may be going through a season in marriage that it's not healthy and it's not safe. And there's a difference between saying I'm working through, we're work- going through a valley versus we, we, this is not okay. And I have to draw some clear guardrails and we need some, some help. Counseling is never a bad thing. If it's a Christ-centered counseling, Enriquez knows. She's all about it. And also, also again, why we stay in Scripture to know, like, actually, the way you're treating me is not biblical. That that when, when God lays out marriage, that's not what he had in mind. And it's why it's important to also be in community, to be at a church, at a parish, uh, where the Word of God is taught. And you have people around you that can look in and say, something's off. And it's one thing, again, to say, we're we're just walking through a season where we're disconnected and we have to find our way back or we're walking through, you know, grieving the loss of a child or a season of joblessness, things that we've touched on versus this is not a safe marriage. This is not a healthy marriage. And, and part of fighting for our marriages is also knowing how to, how to pursue that health and be able to recognize this problem's this problem's a lot bigger than us. And, and we need, we need some help. The other thing I think too, is if you are single you can be preparing for a future marriage. If, if marriage is what God has put on your heart, it doesn't, it doesn't start on the wedding day where you're like, okay, here we go. It actually, it starts at whatever point you decide I'm going to start building habits and pursuing, uh, you know, relationships in ways that honor God, that leave that person better than I found them, that, that pursue, you know, holiness in community. So that when you enter into a marriage, again, it's you're in the habit of living out uh, a worldview, living out uh, a position towards people that is countercultural, but again, biblically rooted. Well said. And you can save yourself and the other person a world mm-hmm. of hurt. If you're mm-hmm. discerning marriage and you're not married yet, if you know that you are not going into marriage asking yourself the question of how can I give myself, but what can I get out of this? Save the other person a world of hurt and wait until your heart is ready mm-hmm. to for self-gift. And by the same token, if you're discerning marriage with somebody who you can tell is not asking himself or herself, what can I give, but what can I get out of this? I would invite you to reconsider that relationship. I know this is a, a really strong statement to make because these are relationships that could last a lifetime, but that's why I'm saying this because this is a relationship that if entered into validly will last your whole life. And so it's not a decision to make lightly, but if you're ready to give and the other person feels ready to give, don't overthink it. God's going to provide the graces that you need to get through whatever lies ahead. <laughs> because you cannot predict. You cannot predict the things you're going to walk through. You think you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why, again, living together before you get married is not helpful because you think that you're figuring out all the unexpected and then you're like, okay, I got this. And then you get married and you realize, oh, 
wait, what? I didn't see that coming. Uh, Because you cannot foresee a miscarriage. You cannot foresee job loss. You cannot foresee the loss of a child. You cannot foresee, you know, illnesses and any number of things. And honestly, just the little day-to-day stresses that come in. We titled this episode, What's Love Got to Do With It? (laughs) Which sounds a little cynical, uh, but... I hope you will see, you know, Americans, one of those studies that you referenced at the beginning, I think it said that 88% of Americans think that love is highly important for where you're going to marry. But when you look at how the world defines love and how scripture defines love, they're two very different things. And very different. So what has love got to do with it? Well, it depends whose definition of love you're working with. If it's a love is love, by the way, it's the dumbest slogan. Hope is hope. Faith is, what does that even say? Word is word. I have a definition of love that I I default to. Is it from the catechism or John Paul II? Probably, but I don't know. (laughs) Love is patient. Is love is is a choice. No, I was going to quote to you 1 Corinthians 13. (laughs) And love is willing the good of another without regard to the cost to oneself. Mm. Love is to love is to will the good of another without regard to the cost to oneself. I don't remember where it's from. I memorized it at some point from some reliable source, but it's been a great fallback definition of love as I've needed to remember. I I need to write that over the kitchen sink because that is not the approach to my parenting these days. I'm like, this is costing me so much. So that's a good reminder because (laughs) that definition works in a lot of relationships, a lot of relationships. And we see Christ doing that. Christ gave everything Mm -hmm. out of his love for us. He could have gotten off of that cross. He could have just taken himself down. He could have, he could have at any point, uh, you know, shown his power and majesty in such a way that there was no question. And he didn't, did not Mm -hmm. because he loved us enough Mm -hmm. to give us a choice to, enter into relationship with him and a choice and the opportunity to have relationship with him. And on our best days as married people, our marriage reflects that and fosters that in this world, the same love and -hmm. sacrifice on our worst days. It's like walking across cut glass barefoot, but I would know of course, uh, because I am married to my soulmate and it's all perfect and rainbows. (laughs) Well, and how often do we, do we, Create our own problems. Oh, it's usually because I <laughs> smashed the glass, put it on the ground, took my shoes off, and then walked across it. <laughs> and then it, walked on it. And then yelled at yeah. my husband, why'd you make me do that? So yes. I'm like a two-year-old in that regard. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So be 100%. encouraged. If you're walking through a season that feels a little like, ah, oh, this is hard. Marriage is hard. But anything worth yeah. doing is hard because it's also so yes. beautiful. And when it when it's going well, man, there is nothing like it. And if you're single and you're thinking God's calling me towards singleness, there's no prospects on the horizon. Know that you are complete as you are because you have Christ. You are not missing your left arm. You're not waiting for your life to begin. There is still so much that you can do in this world to to bring the love of Christ and to show people what it looks like uh, to love extravagantly, to love as Christ loved us. If you like this, share it, rate it, make sure that we feel the love. Love is love. And make sure that, you know, other people are encouraged by, by what's happening here. And as always, we love to hear from you. So 
If you want to yell at us about how Disney is the best portrayal of soulmates, feel free to email us at wildandbeautifulpodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Gmail. I will get it one of these days. <laughs>